Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with pastor teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. read our text from Daniel chapter 9 and then we'll just go over to the book of Psalms. Daniel 9 verse 1. In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day. To the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, The curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil under the whole heaven, hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the wicked watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now... O Lord our God, 
that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten thee renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, Hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Daniel here is now a very elderly man, probably well into his 80s. And he is now, as we learn in the beginning of this chapter, he is reading some scripture. What happens is, is he is moved by this. And what I'd like to do is throw your ribbon in here and just go over to the 137th Psalm and find a matching poem or a song that was sung, probably more poetry, more of a dirge, uh, more of a lament, a sad song. But here in the 137th Psalm, we have something that is coordinating because in verse 1 of the psalm, the psalmist says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. We remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. It's absolutely a minor chord. He's singing this psalm in a depressed state. He's mourning. He's lamenting. We sat down and just wept. I don't think it was... Just eyes brimming, although I'm sure it started that way. It started with wet eyes, of course, and then it got worse, probably to the point of whimpering. We just sat down and, and wept when we remembered the homeland. It's interesting that they have their instruments in hand as they were marched away. We hanged our harps upon the willows thereof. Verse 3, for they that carried us away captive in a spiteful way required of us a song. They that wasted us required of us mirth. We don't use the word mirth very often today, but mirth is a form of happiness that you feel inside so much so that you actually laugh. You're so excited with joy of whatever it is that you're experiencing that your joy overwhelms you to the point where you're, you're so joyful that you just can't help it. You can't stop smiling. Your jaws get sore because you just cannot stop smiling and you're laughing. He says at this worst point in their life when they are in lament, they required us a song. They required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. He responds, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And then he says a few interesting sentences here. I don't know if he said them out loud 
or just inside in response. He says in 5, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. We hear this to the point of nauseam about 9-11, never forget. But as a nation, we're going to forget. Because the years go by and we're just naturally going to forget. Our memories fade, time heals and calluses things over. And not only that, as years go by, there are people now who were not even born at the time of 9-11. They have no recollection of what it was like that morning seeing the actual plane fly into the tower. They don't know what the feeling was like when you hear the TV announcers actually break down into a whimper when the towers finally fell, realizing the thousands of people that were crushed inside. They don't know. They weren't even born then. It's not that they're not forgetting. They just never knew to begin with. So as a nation, you're going to forget. And so we see here, the psalmist is saying, If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. And as an instrument, a person who is a Levite, his hand is full of cunning. He is a harpist. And then he says again in 6, If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I prefer not Jerusalem over my chief joy. My question is, is what makes him care? Why does he care? So you have to move to a different place. A lot of people move all the time. People travel and move to different countries all the time, different states, different localities. They're always moving. Why does he care so much about this particular place? So much so, he says, I'd rather actually dehydrate to death with my tongue cleaving to the roof of my mouth rather than to forget the homeland. Why does he care? Clearly, he's a zealot. He's a patriot. But the question is, is what causes such a fire in his bone? Why does he care so much? And why do other people not? What makes you care about the things that you care about? Or what makes you not? What makes people, certain people care about the things of the Lord and then there are certain people that don't? What makes certain people get up every Sunday morning to hose yourself off, put on your dress blues and then head off to worship? And then why do certain people, they could care less? What is this? And this is a core situation because what we find back in Daniel is we have a guy who is 80-some years old who is more than wealthy. He has more money than he needs. He's been a head of state, he has prestige, he has power, he has everything. Yet he sets his face towards Jerusalem three times a day and prays in a significant way. I mean, the prayer we read is just a lament. Several times you can hear him saying, probably under his breath, Oh my God, this is terrible. And then he prays and he says, We have sinned. We deserve what we get. But could you just show us some mercy on the land of Jerusalem? Now, he is not living in Jerusalem. He's living in the palace. He is, again, a head of state in two different nations, that of Babylon, and now as it's transferred into the Medo-Persian Empire, he's still an aristocrat himself, but he thoroughly is concerned for the homeland. There are two things that are brought up in his prayer that I would like to draw attention to, besides all the confession of transgressions and sin and repentance, notice that in verse 11, he brings up the law of Moses. He says, Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, the Mosaic law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us. He knows. Now you have to understand, he was 
thrown out of the homeland probably around 14, 15, 16 years old. So he has a little bit of a base from his mother and father, the teachings of the Torah as a good Jew would. But he's pretty accurate here and I believe why it is is because we learned that he has received some roles. He's received scrolls of the Bible and so he's actually reading his Bible. He's studying it. He's not just reading it, we'll find. He's actually studying his Bible. And so what he's realizing here is that the law was broken specifically, and now he says that there's a curse that's upon our nation that has caused all this demolition. And if we were to go back, we were to find in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's explicitly talking about all the way back in the days of Moses. He, with detail, says these statutes are going to be broken and this curse is going to come upon you and this bitter and hasty nation is going to take you away. And Moses writes with such accuracy thousands of years before in the statute book. So much so that now Daniel, all the way at 538 B.C., he's saying, I found the actual statute that we broke. And now that curse is upon us. Now, the other portion of Scripture that we would look at, if we look, just turn back to the second verse, he tells us what's happening here. Daniel 9.2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. He looks at a contemporary prophet of his. I don't know if he's ever met Jeremiah, but he knows about Jeremiah. He knows about the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, and he was able to get a copy of the scroll that Jeremiah's assistant had wrote down, Baruch. And he reads it. And he must have scoured it because this, you know, when you read through a book that's 20-some chapters long or 30, whatever, how many chapters are in Jeremiah, there's a lot of reading going on. But one particular thing catches his mind because it has to do specifically with him. And so what I'd like to do then is we're not going to go to Deuteronomy, but let's just look at what Daniel is reading and then apply that to why he's doing what he's doing. So look over in Jeremiah 36 and find what it is that Daniel is reading. In Jeremiah 36, verse 1, he says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that his word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, a scroll, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee from the days of Josiah even unto this day. Now, this is a new discovery for Daniel. He has never had the book of Jeremiah before. He has no idea. He's never heard the preaching of Jeremiah. He is just an elderly man who is interested in the things of the Lord. He buys a brand new copy of this scroll and he begins to read it. And so what he's doing is, is he's reading this and he's going through the history. And, and you've got to remember, he's taken captive at a young age and he's not really sure what happened. He's only 14, 15, whatever it is. He doesn't know what the politics of the day was. He doesn't know all the different details. His family probably sheltered him like we would shelter our kids from some of the things that happens in politics and in government. He doesn't remember what happened. He's not sure. Now he's reading and studying as an elderly fella. And you know what he says? He stops and he closes his book and he goes, Gosh, this is what happened. And it happened to me. And so as he's coming across this, it's like he's discovered this gold gem. My gosh, this is what happened to us. This is how it happened. 
And so you can see in his mind as he's reading up in Jeremiah 36 and he's having flashbacks of what took place of the siege, of the screaming, the chaos under the invasion when the Babylonians came in and murdered people by way of axe. Their favorite weapon was the axe. The vicious bloodshed. And then verse 3, he realizes and learns, oh my gosh, God was giving us another chance. Look at 3, he says, It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them. God, maybe God is speaking. It might be that they just might actually hear what my plan is for them if they don't get right. That they may return every man from his evil way. That I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. And you can see Jeremiah with his heart. I mean... He doesn't know where his mom and dad are, if they're alive or dead. They may be slaves somewhere else in the empire. I don't know if he's had sisters or brothers. We don't know where they are. They may be tied to him being abused because they abused people to death. When I was a kid, I used to have these reoccurring dreams that my mother was killed. I would wake up crying. I mean, I was a little kid. And I don't know how, but my grandmother knew and told my mother, he's having nightmares that you're dying. And I was shocked. Now, I thought my grandmother was like a psychic. She somehow knew. I, don't, I mean, she would say, let me see your hand and do this and stuff, you know, but I don't know. But she knew. But it was a horrifying dream. Daniel doesn't know where these people are. And he's beginning to get details. And, oh my gosh, we could have survived this mess if we just would have repented. God was trying to forgive their sin up until the very end. Verse 4, Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. So we can see this. Jeremiah, God is speaking directly to the prophet. The prophet is saying it out loud, and his assistant Baruch is writing the words down, the very words we're reading today. So he breaks these all down, and, and you can see that, that Daniel is reading this so intently. This is about us. This is my history as a child. Verse 5, Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I'm shut up. He was already in house arrest. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. I can't go, but you go. Take what I'm telling you, write it down, and then go read it to the people. Because it might be... At this time, remember, now Daniel's reading history, but Jeremiah said, go read it to the people. Go tell them. Verse 6, go therefore, and read it, the roll. Read it aloud in the temple of all the people, the public meeting place there, and, and tell them. Verse 7, now this is crucial to Daniel. Look what he says as he's reading it. He's reading it probably quietly to himself. You can see the elderly man by way of candle. And he comes across verse 7. It may be they will present their supplications before the Lord. What are supplications? Well, their prayers before the Lord. It might be, he's saying, it may be, if you read this to them and tell them what the catastrophe is about to take place, it may be that they will repent of their sins and make their supplications. They may actually ask the Lord not to do this. Fast forward to Daniel's day. What is Daniel doing in chapter 9? He's making his supplications. Because that's what they were told to do back then. 
Make your supplications. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Forgive the country. And just maybe he will be gracious. I mean, remember, what got Daniel thrown into the lion's den? His supplications. So he goes, he reads it out loud, maybe that the people will pray. And so then in 10, he does it again. He's telling Baruch reads it again in verse 10. Then Baruch in the book, the words of Jeremiah, but he, this time it's in the house of the Lord in a chamber. So what we do is we see that he's reading it at first in a public way. And then he's going to go up the chain of command in the temple. He's going to go into the people who are the aristocrats. We're going to go into a specific chamber within the temple and tell certain people there's a, a private place. What he's doing now is he's not getting a response that he thinks that he may be getting. And so instead of just giving up, we're going to go up the chain of command and tell some of the leadership about what's going on in verse 10. Same thing in verse 12. Then he went down into the king's house. So now we're in a separate area. We're going into the political realm, to the king, into the scribe's chamber. Somebody who works for the king. And we're going to read it to him. And then in verse 15, he goes into another group, up the chain of command. You can see him on Capitol Hill. He's going into different chambers, different offices, and telling them, you need to listen to the Bible, what it's saying. You need to learn what Jeremiah is saying. In verse 15, And they said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. Verse 16, Now it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid both one and other. And said unto Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. Okay, you can see. Okay, that's great news. Somebody's listening. We're going to get a hold of the king. Verse 17, they asked Baruch, Look how this plays out. And you can see politics involved in this, can't you? Because if you ever talk to people who do politics, they don't answer the question. They schmooze you. They tell you, you ask a question, and then you, they talk for 20 minutes, and you don't get the answer. <laughs> They're, they're, just, they're just going around in circles. They don't really want to tell you the answer because it's a yes or no answer, but that would hold them accountable. So I'm not sure about all that. So uh, let's just talk for a little bit. And so in 17, look what happens. They ask Baruch saying, Hmm, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? They're suspect. Verse 18, Baruch answered them, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth. And I wrote them with ink in the book. In other words, this is accurate. The Word of God is accurate. They came from God Himself to the mouthpiece, and it says, and it's so that you know for sure that this isn't just somebody else writing it, but it says He pronounced all these words unto me with His mouth, and I wrote them, and it didn't get changed. It was written with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Okay, we have a small situation here, because they know the king. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go, hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where you are. This is dangerous now. We're going to have to confront the king. They tried to hide, but twenty. And they went in to the king, into the court. But they laid up the roll in the chamber. We don't really want to let that out. So they hide the roll itself in the chamber of Elijah, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. It doesn't work at all. Verse 21, So the king sent Jehoiadi to fetch the roll, and he took it out. And Elijah, the scribe chamber, and Jehudi read it in the ears of the king, and in the ears of all the princes which stood before the king. 
Now, the king sat in the winter house in the nine months. What it is, is we're making sure to let you know this is 100% accurate. We're even giving you the time. We're giving you the month. We're letting you know where it took place. It was in the winter house in the nine months. And there was a fire on the hearth burning before him, so it was cold. Verse 23, it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves, he's only getting, really just getting started, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. He downright burns the scroll. He's burning the Bible because of what it says. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away because God preserves His word 100% accurately. Now there's 100,000 Bible translations out there now that are as corrupt and as dirty as can be, but God has preserved for us His word. They may try to burn it. And through all the dark ages of history, the Catholic Church did burn all the Bible so that no one would know really what it says. But it doesn't matter because verse 27, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the roll. And the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll and write it all. The former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim the king of Judah had burned. They may try to eliminate our Bibles, but God will not let it happen. Because there's something incredibly important within its pages. For Daniel, in fact, something very pertinent that he makes mention of is just a few pages away in chapter 25. Look over in chapter 25. In verse 8, Therefore thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, they would not hear the law and the prophets. They wouldn't listen. Let me just stop here and just remind us that our country is around 200 years old. And it's only been within the past 75 years that the schools were not allowed to teach Bible. If you go back through that date throughout our history, the Bible has been taught in all public schools and home schools and little church house schools. If you go back even further, most of your reading skills, most of the literary skills were taught by way of reading the Bible. They taught people how to do English and how to read by teaching them the Bible itself in public schools. That's what our country used to be. Now, you're not allowed to teach Bible. The teachers would be fired for teaching Bible or teaching lessons like that. Instead, what we have now, at least that I've heard and I haven't confirmed it, but I have heard that up into the fifth grade with sex education that the public schools are actually teaching the child that you must explore homosexuality because you may be gay. That is a drastic difference from teaching them Leviticus that that is an abomination to do. You have not heard or obeyed my words. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and an hissing, and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth. Does that not sound like the 137th Psalm that we just read? I sat down by the rivers of Babylon and just wept, and they required of us a song of mirth. 
Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstones, and all the light of the candles. And this whole land shall be desolation and an astonishment. And these nations, now look at as Daniel's reading this carefully, he's saying, that, that's what happened to me. The whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. It's astonishing what took place. And then it says, and you can see him with his finger tracing every word. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. And he says, wait, that's me. Do you ever read the Bible and say to yourself, that's me? But then the one extra little phrase, you shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And Daniel goes, oh my gosh, I've been here about 70 years. We're in a transition period. It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And again, he's just saw the Medo-Persian Empire come in and crush them through the leaf gates. It's like he's reading his own biography. Isn't it interesting that the Bible does that? You read it as if you're just reading something else and then all of a sudden you realize, I think that you know, you're looking into Jesus a little bit. You know, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to look into Jesus a little bit. And then you read the Bible and you feel like, I think I'm being looked into. That's what's happening. He's saying, It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity. For iniquity shall come to the full. And you can see him there as he's reading this. He just stops and then he hits his knees. And then he begins to pray three times a day, even though the decree of the land is, is you're not allowed to pray to anybody except for the king by reason of death, being cast into the lion's den. Yet he opens his windows and he prays three times a day towards Jerusalem. Why? Why does he do what he does? Why does the psalmist, why is he so concerned? Why is this? Because he absolutely, undoubtedly believes the word of God. And he has just read it. But there's a part B to this. It doesn't do enough to absolutely, undoubtedly believe the word of God. You have to care for the people of God. The prophet is saying, if I forget, O Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cunning. He cares more as a patriot for his country than he does for himself. So what he is seeing here is Daniel is reading this and he hits his knees and he prays because he has read, it may be if they make supplications that God might might or may show mercy unto them and all this desolation will be gone. Now he realizes, wait, the 70 years is up. Now's the time. It may be that we actually may be able to go home.
So it doesn't necessarily matter if you believe the Word of God, which that does, but if you don't actually care, and that's what he does. He believes the Word of God, and he cares about the Word of God. And I think that that may be where some fall short. It's not that we don't believe the Word of God. We simply just don't care that much. So there's a ton of work to be done. But let somebody else do it. I believe the Word of God. And I believe in the work. I just don't really care that much. And then the country goes to hell in a handbasket. Because the people who do believe are not busy doing anything. So Daniel does. At least he does. He risks his life and intercedes. Maybe we could do a little bit the same. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.